Hi, I'm James Anderson Foster, and you're listening to Who's Afraid, a weekly podcast of awesome serialized horror fiction written by amazing authors, performed for you by professional narrators, and brought to you by SerialAudio.com. It's totally binge-worthy. Serial Audio presents Pine Lakes, written by Chris Motts, performed for you by Joe Hempel. Episode 4 Chapter 4 Susan sat alone in the wrecked car, shaking uncomfortably. Her head pounded from crying and her sinuses were clogged. Snot ran from her nose, but she was too terrified to wipe it away. She watched her husband get dragged into the woods, kicking and screaming and calling her name, and she was powerless to help. Once his cries dwindled away, she was left utterly alone with only her imagination to fill in the blanks. Anyone who said an imagination was a wonderful thing was full of shit. For several minutes, she screamed Ted's name until her voice was nothing more than a raspy cackle. Her throat was sore. Her eyes burned. Her heart was broken. The steady rain hammering on the roof of the car wasn't nearly enough to drown out her own thoughts. For a while, she tried to free her other leg from under the dashboard, but gave up after a few futile attempts. Freedom be damned. Did she want to escape this nightmare without Ted at her side? She hadn't known anything else since she was 17 years old. Susan leaned back in her seat as her cries ebbed to soft sobs. She was utterly exhausted. The pain in her bladder faded. Fat drops of rain landed on Ted's vacant seat and created a small puddle where he'd been sitting only minutes earlier. Lightning lit the surrounding forest in a series of bright strobes as Susan's eyes grew heavy. She welcomed sleep, relished the idea of just slipping away. When she heard whispering, her eyes shot open, and she sat up, gripping the dash and staring through the broken windshield. The whispers came from every direction at once, louder than the rain and the constant thunder rolling across the sky. That's when she noticed them standing around the broken cuda, a circle of human silhouettes of varying sizes and shapes. They approached the car, and their whispers grew louder but still she couldn't make out any words in the den. The shapes were featureless. Even in the brightest flashes of light, they were nothing more than blurry shadows. No clothes. No faces. Her overtaxed brain no longer thought in terms of reality and fiction. The whispers became a steady drone. The drone became a chorus of melodic vocalizations. She watched them tighten the circle around the car expecting them to start singing campfire songs, holding hands and swaying to some cosmic rhythm. One of the figures stood only two feet from her window, close enough for her to make out its fingers and toes. Her assumption had been correct. The visitor had no face, just a blank wall of flesh on a perfectly oval-shaped head. No hair, no ears, nothing. Susan couldn't move. She didn't want to move. 
The interior of the car grew warm and the windows fogged over, blocking her vision of the approaching shadows. It was a pleasant heat, a Sunday afternoon nestled beneath the covers with Ted. She was once again bulldozed by thoughts of living without him. The fear of what watched her from outside the car was replaced by the fear of being alone. Still, the musical whispers grew in volume as the rain intensified, lulling her deeper and deeper into her own personal darkness, to a place where this was nothing more than a vivid dream. Her eyes grew heavy and her head dipped, her chin resting on her chest. Susan's skin tingled from the strange heat as she drifted away. When the forest came alive with the wolves' angry howls, she barely noticed. She only wondered if one of those monsters was the one that had dragged Ted kicking and screaming into the forest. Was it still hungry? Was its muzzle still dripping with his fresh blood? Sleep, a voice hissed. Susan could no longer fight. Sleep claimed her. Susan sat on the couch surrounded by crumpled tissues. Ringo lay nearby snoring contentedly. It was getting darker outside, and still Ted hadn't come home. She was beginning to think he might not return. She'd said some pretty awful things, but goddammit, so did he. Susan wasn't going to shoulder the blame. Not this time. She pulled another tissue from the box and blew her nose loudly, making Ringo jump up, startled, growling at the corners of the room. It's only me, you stupid dog, she said. Ringo licked her hand and plopped back down, satisfied that he'd protected her from whatever made those harsh snorts. The day had started out fine. Ted tinkered in the garage, attaching the new grill to the Cuda. He'd picked it up on eBay for a song and had been looking forward to the weekend for a chance to install it, the last piece he needed for the car's front end. Susan made them a light breakfast and figured she'd have a chance to catch up on laundry, maybe finally get to open the new Bentley Little novel she'd been dying to read. As she sat down, Ted stormed in from the garage, his face dark and angry. She'd seen him this way a hundred times, especially when working on the car. If something didn't go exactly as planned, Ted took it as a personal affront. Susan figured the stress of that damn car had likely taken ten years off his life by now. He didn't say a word as he passed through the room and into the kitchen where he grabbed a can of beer from the refrigerator. He slurped it loudly, grumbling under his breath slamming the refrigerator door with a rattle. Susan joined him in the kitchen, preparing something cute and witty to break him from his anger. But the words caught in her throat when he looked up with glaring eyes. He wasn't in the mood for cute and witty, so instead she simply raised her eyebrows in a silent query. Were you in the garage? he asked. Like yesterday or today? Yeah, I put a box out there yesterday for the clothing drive. Why? Did you bump into the car? Maybe scrape the box against it? No, not that I know. Will you just tell me what's bugging you? What's bugging me is a fucking scratch on the driver's side door, he said angrily. That paint job cost me a fortune. Well, it wasn't me, she shouted. I didn't go anywhere near the damn car. I dropped the box by the door and came back inside. Someone sure as shit scratched it, he said. And it wasn't me. I guess that only leaves you. For Christ's sake, Ted, it could have happened at any time. You don't have to come in here throwing around accusations. I'm not accusing you, Susan. I'm telling you. It had to be you. Did you bring that dumb dog with you? 
Maybe he jumped up and scratched it. It's not like you ever watch what he's doing. That's not fair, she yelled. When do you ever watch him? He's your dog too. I bought him for you, or did you forget that? I told you he'd be a hassle and you didn't want to listen. You bought him for us. Don't put the responsibility all on me. As if called, Ringo trotted into the kitchen and stared up at them quizzically. His tail wagged sporadically, unsure if the shouting meant it was time to play or time to hide. He jumped up on Susan's leg, but she brushed him aside. He tried his luck with Ted instead, which turned out to be a mistake. Ted kicked at the terrier and connected squarely with his hindquarters, sending him sliding across the waxed linoleum with a shrill yip. Scared, Ringo looked up at him, ears laid back, tail tucked between his legs. He scampered from the kitchen and hid beneath the dining room table. You asshole, she screamed. You're going to take your anger out on the dog? Like he has any idea why you're upset? Maybe it'll keep him the fuck away from me and away from my car. Either keep an eye on your damn dog or I'll drop him off at the animal shelter. Like hell you will. I'll drop you off at the shelter first. That's just like you, he said as he downed the rest of his beer. The dog always comes first, right? Fuck your husband. Side with the dog. The dog doesn't treat me like a child. No, he gives you unconditional love, right? Just what you need. A project. Something that will love you no matter what. That's what you're supposed to be doing, but apparently you've forgotten that. I haven't forgotten. But you don't make it easy, do you? Easy? I let you siphon our money into that goddamn car, and I get to listen to you ramble on about parts, about the time it's going to take to attach a new bumper or a new rearview mirror. I don't complain when you spend entire days out there buffing out the fucking paint job for the hundredth time. I don't bitch at you when I put dinner on the table and you blow it off because you have to put on a new taillight. You pay more attention to the car than you do us, and I smile and let you have your hobby. Us? Us? You and that damn mutt? Is this the kind of parent you would have been? Overbearing? Smothering it and taking sides any time I had something to say? You son of a bitch, she hissed. How dare you? She grabbed the empty beer can from the counter and threw it at him, hitting him in the forehead. You hateful bastard! Ted shrugged and kicked the can across the floor. He hit a nerve, one he knew he shouldn't have. It was beneath him, and yet at that moment he couldn't contain it. Susie, I'm sorry, I didn't mean... Fuck you and what you meant, she screamed. You said exactly what you meant to say, all over a scratch in your precious car. Ted hung his head, his face red from anger and embarrassment. It was a low blow. He took a step forward and extended his arms, preparing to hug her, to apologize for being such a monster. But she stepped away, crying from barely contained rage. Susie. Don't fucking Susie me, you son of a bitch. Don't touch me. I don't even want to see your face right now. Ted went from being sorry to being defensive in the blink of an eye. He pushed past her and opened the door to the garage. Then I'm going out, he said. I'll be back when I'm back. If I come back. Go, Susan said. Maybe if you do come back, I won't fucking be here. Ted looked at her and stormed through the door, slamming it behind him hard enough to knock a decorative rooster from the kitchen wall. That was eight hours ago. Eight hours of conflicting emotions as she sat on the couch contemplating her options. 
She'd never thought Ted was capable of such unabashed hostility. What kind of father would he have been? Would he have taken his anger out on their child like he took it out on her and Ringo? Susan had no idea if she scratched his precious car, but she didn't deserve his unbridled fury and thoughtless accusations. A 24 marathon played on television, but she paid very little attention. Kiever Sutherland went on killing as Susan emptied a box of tissues. Ringo nudged her hand now and then to let her know he had her back. She stroked his shoulders absently, lost in her own misery. After midnight, Ted stumbled in from the garage, obviously intoxicated. He drunkenly tried to apologize, even attempting to pet Ringo's scruffy little head. But Susan wasn't ready to hear it. Ringo kept his distance, still feeling the sting of where Ted had kicked him across the floor. He staggered to bed, and Susan slept on the couch with the dog curled up behind her legs. She and Ted didn't share a bed for over a week, and even then there was a boundary, a demarcation line of pillows between them. It wasn't a bump in the road. It was a huge fucking chasm that had the potential to tear them apart. A month passed before they spoke to one another about anything more important than a grocery list. Two months before the pillows disappeared. They eventually slipped back into their routine, going from forced civility to something approaching normalcy. She wasn't about to let him off the hook, but she was willing to give him another chance to either mend the bridge or destroy it for good. She'd seen a side of Ted she never knew existed, and she didn't like it one bit. Susan woke with a gasp, a scream bubbling from between her lips as a figure squeezed through the window and jumped into the back seat. A second later, a massive, snarling head appeared and jammed its dripping muzzle through the missing window. Teeth the size of railroad spikes tore at the steering wheel and ripped the headrest from the seat before continuing the violent attack. The giant, wolf-like monstrosity tried desperately to force its massive shoulders through the opening, eyes blazing as it bent the steering wheel between powerful jaws. Susan shrank against her door as teeth snapped only inches from her face. The hot wind from the beast's wild panting blew the hair from her forehead and bathed her in the rancid stink of its last meal. Ted grabbed the travel bag from the rear floor and beat the creature's face, doing nothing but pissing it off even more. The wolf grabbed the bag and tore it apart, flinging the unwanted contents aside. Hot strings of saliva splattered the inside of the car as the beast roared in irritation. The cooter rocked and bounced as it tried to gain entry, covering everything in a coating of warm slime. Ted pulled his legs back and kicked as hard as he could, connecting squarely with the wolf's jaw. It bayed piercingly and backed away from the car. The monster was dazed, its broken jaw dangling uselessly. Their attacker ran into the vehicle over and over again, crushing the door further into the passenger compartment. In the flickering light, Susan saw its shaggy black muzzle dripping with blood from fresh wounds, eyes glowing from within with hellish light. It continued slamming into the twisted metal, opening large cuts and gashes in an already battered face. One pointed ear dangled from the side of the thing's head from a single scrap of flesh. What do we do? Susan shrieked. Nothing, Ted panted. It'll kill itself. Just keep away. They watched as the giant slammed into the car over and over again. A jagged piece of steel pierced its right eye with a wet, 
squishy pop. The orb deflated and ran in a sticky clot over its muzzle, but the unnatural glow remained, emanating from deep within its skull. It's tearing itself apart, Susan moaned. <laughs> exactly, Ted laughed shrilly, maniacally, a man on the edge. The creature slammed into the door again and howled. An audible crack sounded out as its skull split wide open. Stepping away, shaking its giant head stupidly, the monster fell into the mud. After a few shallow breaths, its struggles ceased. In the short flashes of light, Susan saw gray lumps of brain leaking from its mangled skull and dripping into the rotting leaves. Susie! Ted screamed. Susie, tell me you're okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. How did you get away? I thought you were dead, she wailed. I thought I was never going to see you again. You're not going to get that lucky, he said. I'm not going anywhere. He leaned between the front seats, and Susan grabbed his face and kissed him, tasting blood on her lips. You're bleeding, she said. Your head is bleeding. She looked at his torn fingers, seeing the cracked and torn remains of several of his fingernails dangling from scraps of flesh. It's nothing. I'm okay. A little bruised, but I'll live. How did you get away? I thought it was going to kill you. She rubbed his face lovingly, afraid if she took her hands away he'd disappear like a distant mirage. It just left me there, he said. Dropped me in a clearing and ran off into the woods. I had no idea where I was, but I wasn't alone. What? There are people out here? They were all dead, Susie, he shivered. There were bodies everywhere, piled on top of each other like firewood. I could smell them, the sweat and fear and death. Skulls hung from the trees like Christmas decorations, he sobbed. Men, women, animals stacked up like a fucking totem. Ted's chest hitched. His ordeal was beginning to sink in. He'd almost become one of them, one of the butchered dead. I thought I lost you, Susan cried. I thought you were gone. There was a cave, he continued, about thirty feet away, just a ragged hole carved into the side of the mountain. The rocks were blackened and cracked by the heat. It was like a blast furnace, the entrance to hell itself. It was hard for Susan to watch Ted's face wrinkle with the unbelieving memory. Surely he'd seen something. But what? What he was saying was impossible. There were voices, he continued, voices coming from inside the cave. Hundreds of them, thousands, the sound of a packed arena. They were screaming, calling for help. My God, it was the most terrifying thing I've ever heard, and I couldn't do a damn thing. Not even if I wanted to. The heat was so intense, Susie. I felt like I was standing in the caldera of a volcano. I just wanted to get away from there. Away from the incessant screaming and stink of rotting corpses. Ted, please calm down. You're okay now, Susan soothed. Okay? I'll never be okay again. Not after what I saw. What I heard. Ted wiped tears from his cheeks and inhaled deeply. I saw my chance to run and I took it. I had no idea where that fucking thing was, or if it was watching me from the forest. But I didn't hesitate. Anything was better than staying there, helpless. Susan nodded, 
grabbed his hand and kissed his fingers. She noticed the hair on his arm had been singed. She could feel heat rising from his flesh in waves. Baby, please, she pleaded. You're safe. That's what matters. You're here now. All those voices, he cried. What's going on here, Susie? Susan cried with him as steam rose from the corpse outside the window. She wanted to tell him about her experience, about the faceless figures that had surrounded the car, how their disembodied voices made her feel safe. Now was not the time, not after what had happened to him. Although impossible to believe, Ted carried evidence with him, his hot skin, his hair curled up into tiny, white curly cues on his arms, his nails torn from his bleeding fingers. Please, Ted muttered, we have to get the hell out of here. I've never wanted anything more, she replied, wiping tears from her cheeks. Ted jumped into the front seat, peered outside, and took a deep breath. No time like the present. Ted crawled through the window and carefully stepped around the wolf's cooling body. It gave off a wet, meaty stink, like bloated roadkill along the highway. He covered his nose, crept around the vehicle, and opened Susan's door. He grabbed her around the waist and pulled. She uttered a quick gasp as the jagged metal tore through her jeans and sliced her calf. Are you okay? Is it working? One more time, she said, and I think you got it. Don't worry about hurting me, just get me out of here. Ted dug his feet in and yanked. Her leg pulled from beneath the dash with little resistance, spilling them both to the soggy ground. She gave him a quick, crushing hug and kissed his forehead before standing on wobbly legs. She rubbed her knees and ankles, working out the kinks in her joints before staggering to the rear of the car out of sight. Susan, what the hell are you doing? Give me a second, she said. I have to pee. Ted listened as she slid her zipper down and marked the leaves behind the wreck. She sighed with relief as the pressure in her bladder subsided. She'd never been so happy to go to the bathroom, one of life's little moments she'd never take for granted again. She finished and slopped through the mud and wet leaves to join Ted at the driver's door, where he collected a few of the contents from the ruined travel bag and piled them on the roof of the car. She reached inside, grabbed her sweatshirt, and pulled it on over her wet clothes, taking what meager warmth it had to offer. I have slickers and a couple flashlights in the trunk, he said, as long as we didn't lose them in the crash. Ted dug through the trunk and produced two yellow rain jackets and a heavy mag light. The other flashlights were missing, likely scattered somewhere on the mountain behind them. They donned the slickers and stood beside the car, scanning the area. The mag light cut a path through the dense fog, allowing them a clear glimpse of their surroundings for the first time. The forest here was thick, swampy, almost primordial. The car had come to rest over forty feet from the road. A sheer, granite wall climbed up and disappeared in the darkness. There wasn't a chance they'd get back to the road this way. The incline would be like climbing a wall of ice. Small rivers of muddy water cut paths down the hillside, forming a large pool at the bottom that sucked at their shoes. North is that way, Ted pointed. If we keep following the mountain, we'll eventually wind up at the resort. Eventually? How far is it? About five miles, I'd guess. 
The road winds up the mountain, but this is a more direct route. That means we have to stay in the woods, she groaned. I'm sorry, there's no other way. Susan crossed her arms and hugged herself to keep warm. By her watch, the sun should have been directly overhead, but instead they were mired in endless gloom creeping in from all direction. As Ted picked his way through the thick brush, she turned and looked at the wrecked barracuda, suddenly sorry to leave it behind. It had given them refuge up to this point. Now they were left completely in the open with nowhere to hide. I can't wait to get out of these wet clothes, Ted said. We're lucky to be alive. That will have to suffice for now. He nodded, his face clouding over, remembering his short but traumatic time on the corpse-strewn ground beside the cave. He was lucky to be alive. But at what cost? Could he truly ever forget what he'd seen and heard? No amount of therapy would erase that. He knew he'd never be able to tell anyone what he'd witnessed here. Not his parents. Not his closest friends. They'd lock him in a padded cell and would make him wear a muzzle like a rabid dog. How would he live knowing this place exists? Do you remember that camping trip we went on with Barb and Mike about five years ago? Susan asked. That's what you're thinking about right now? Really? Until now, that was the most miserable experience I've ever had in the woods. I guess there's really no comparison. I remember, Ted said. It rained the whole time and you were pissed because you wanted to go fishing and you'd forgotten your rod at home. Susan chuckled and nodded. I didn't think I was being unreasonable. What else was there to do besides listen to Barb and Mike bicker all weekend? I nearly forgot that, he said. Barb accused him of cheating on her and tore down the tent. Those two were a mess. All couples are a mess at some point, she said. We were a mess. That was a little different, Susie. Susan huffed her agreement. Whatever happened to those two? Turns out Mike was cheating on her, he said. He took the dog, a few hundred bucks, and the clothes on his back. He moved down to Philly with his mistress. Seriously? Yep, I thought I told you. No, I'd remember that, she replied. Suits them right for ruining our damn trip. Ted laughed behind his arm, trying to muffle the sound. They were free of the car, but they weren't out of the woods yet. One of those wolf-like creatures howled deep in the forest to let them know they weren't alone. That sound goes right through me, Susan said. Ted nodded his agreement. Suddenly, the stories he'd heard about these woods seemed more than plausible. They were spot on. I guess the tall tales might have some truth after all, he said. Don't you dare. I can't hear any of that right now. I'm serious. My father was full of local legends, folklore, stories about Satan worship and ritual sacrifice. He told me there were secrets buried in these woods, and I just listened and laughed. I wonder if he knew more than what he told me. Under the circumstances, I'm willing to bet he does. You better believe when we get out of here I'm going to ask him. He's going to think you're crazy, Ted. I'm starting to think we're both crazy. You didn't see that fucking hole in the ground, he said. No, I didn't but you hit your head pretty hard. You said so yourself. So what? Do you think I imagined it? Can you explain why the fucking hair is burned off my arms? Susan shook her head and turned away. What I saw was real, and what I felt was real, and that's all there is to it. Ted retreated into himself, unable and unwilling to discuss it further. 
How could Susan know what had happened after he was dragged away? She didn't have an explanation. Not for what Ted experienced and not for what she'd seen. They'd had the misfortune of getting trapped in the middle of something that defied reality. Places of power supposedly existed all around them. The pyramids. Stonehenge, mystic ley lines connecting points of significance, yet without any real pattern or explanation. Even the impossible wasn't truly impossible. The forest floor continued on a slight incline, leaving the swampy ground behind them. Their shoes squished quietly in the mud as Ted tried to navigate around the thick tangles of growth. Patches of the forest stood out in contrast. Large circular clearings where nothing grew, draped in thick luminous fog made white in the glare of the flashlight. The British call them torches, you know, Susan said. What? Flashlights. They call them torches. Seems much more appropriate, doesn't it? Ted grunted. I'm just trying to make conversation, Ted. I'm scared, too. I know. I'm sorry. I'm just trying to get us out of here before they come back. Whatever they are. Thunder greeted them as they crossed a swift but shallow stream. You know, when I was a kid, I was terrified of the dark, she said. Really? You never told me that. Really, she replied. My mother had nightlights all over my bedroom. I made her keep the light on in my closet, too. I was petrified. Every time I climbed out of bed to use the bathroom, I was certain something would grab my feet from under the bed. What caused it? Nothing, at least not anything I remember. I just hated not knowing what was in the shadows. I pictured the most awful shit, the nastiest monsters. One day I slept without the night lights, and a week later I turned off the closet light and never needed it again. It happened just like that. That's strange, Ted said. But you're not afraid anymore? After tonight I may need to turn the closet light on again for a while. She wiped rain from her face and focused on the bright beam of light ahead. Weren't you afraid of anything as a kid? Ted thought about it for a moment and chuckled. The Fraggles. What? The Fraggles. Don't you remember Fraggle Rock? Those things creeped me out, running around and eating those poor doozers' houses. You're a nut, Susan laughed. And that damn talking trash heap. Who makes these shows? For me, it was Oscar the Grouch, Susan said. Just a dirty, angry, miserable monster living in a garbage can. My parents took me to New York City when I was seven, and I saw a homeless man pushing a shopping cart. I pointed at him and shouted, Look, Mommy, Oscar the Grouch! She grabbed my hand and pulled me away as fast as she could. The man frowned and flipped me the bird, she laughed. He had a fly in his beard. I thought it was hysterical at the time. You were young, Ted said. You didn't know any better. It wasn't until years later I saw a program on television about New York City's homeless problem. I swear I saw the same guy, wearing the same stained overcoat and pushing the same battered shopping cart. I cried. My mother didn't understand why, but something just clicked. These people weren't dirty and living out of busted luggage because they chose to. At one time, they were people just like us who maybe made one bad decision, one wrong choice, and they ended up in the street. It frightened me. I was scared I'd wind up like that someday, carrying around a torn teddy bear and picking scraps out of a dumpster. 
You were a very sweet and emotional little girl, Ted said. I guess I was, she said. Part of me still thinks about that little girl and wonders if I'd changed that much. The trunk of a massive pine tree split open and fell to the forest floor with a shattering crunch. Susan held her hands protectively over her head and scampered back, bumping into Ted and knocking the flashlight to the ground. He quickly retrieved it, wiped water and muck from its lens and shined it into the darkness. The tree blocked their path, forcing them to find a way around. Come on, this way, Ted said, grabbing her hand and pulling her along behind. I think we're wearing out our welcome. They fled through the forest without feeling their feet touch the ground. Sets of eyes appeared one by one in the dense brush to her right, keeping pace as they continued their ascent out of the valley. The creatures bayed and barked excitedly as they closed the gap. The forest was alive with the sound of their pursuit. The time for silently stalking their prey had come to an end. The dense growth thinned and suddenly opened into a wide clearing. A squat, one-room cabin stood twenty yards away, backed up against the hillside. A fragrant white plume of wood smoke drifted into the sky from a short stone chimney. A cracked path led up to the cabin's porch, where an ancient swing gently rocked on rusted chains. Susan had never been so happy to see something so wickedly creepy. She scanned the forest's edge, prepared to see Hansel and Gretel emerge from the woods on the other side of the clearing. Holy shit, Ted laughed. Would you look at that? Go, go, Susan shouted out of breath. We can admire the view later. They climbed the half-dozen rickety steps and stood on the porch as the wind whistled through the eaves. The windows had been covered in scraps of old newspaper, making it impossible to see inside. But a soft light flickered around the edges, letting them know someone must be in there. Ted rapped loudly on the heavy wooden door and waited for a response. Susan gulped the air like a fish out of water. She felt dizzy and disconnected. Her legs ached. Her lungs burned. She hadn't had this much physical activity since high school gym class, now nearly twenty years in her past. Come on, come on, answer, Ted shouted, pounding on the door again. The creatures had given up their chase. They stood at the tree line in a semicircle, panting and grunting but no longer approaching. They were content just watching, and to Susan that was even worse. She felt like a rabbit trapped in a snare like those monsters had pushed them in this direction purposely. As Susan heard the lock click on the cabin door, she held her breath, unaware if they'd found their salvation or another step on the road to madness. Thanks for listening this week. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Who's Afraid as much as we enjoy bringing it to you. Remember to come back next week or subscribe at SerialAudio.com so you never miss a new episode. You can learn more about this podcast and other serialized fiction shows by visiting our website at SerialAudio.com. That's all one word, SerialAudio.com, where you can subscribe to this and our other shows via RSS, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and all your favorite podcast players. While you're at it, if you're enjoying this podcast, we'd love it if you'd share it with your friends. Even better, if you have a few spare seconds, leave a review on iTunes. 
To help support this show, sign up as a patron at patreon.com slash serial audio. You'll get early access to episodes ad-free and special bonuses like behind-the-scenes author and narrator interviews. Thank you again from all of us at SerialAudio.com. It's totally binge-worthy.